Okay, Bryn, I'm uh, recording this. I just want you, if you could, just read this okay. for me. All right, let's see. Oh, hi, this is Bryn. Just wanted to say sorry the first 10 minutes of the show sound like shit because Brian fucked it up. But don't worry, the very special interview sounds normal. Thanks, bye. Perfect, thanks. I wonder who that is. Hi, Brian. Uh, oh, hi, Greg. Maybe, you, maybe you've noticed the uh, bindle stick on my shoulder. <laughs> uh, and the, the holes in my shoes. <laughs> it looks like you've fallen hard times, Greg. Uh, well, um, you may know, I've uh, during the pandemic, I got uh, boat pilled and uh, started doing some work on my boat. It's taken a turn. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, to just sum it up, uh, listen, I sank it to the bottom of the canal. It's now, a, it's also now a super fun site. Um, uh, it is toxic, unlivable. Um, uh, a, no, I have trouble thinking of it as a home anymore and i live with you now <laughs> greg i think what you're looking for is permission to come aboard <laughs> and you know what greg permission granted <laughs> brian thanks brian <laughs> sucks podcast about the city that we live in um greg um greg no longer lives in quarantine yeah greg no longer lives in the city of seattle he now lives in the city of shoreline (laughs) uh greg uh welcome to the uh ss brian and bryn Feels like they should have changed that that SS part after yeah, that historical things. That's a really. What do they call boats now? Ago, I lived on SV9. What's the V for? Sailing vessel. Oh my god! All right. Anyways, so uh, uh, I, I now I was uh, I uh, through. You know, it wasn't even the pandemic. Wasn't even anything else. Just my own. My own. Uh, my own idiocy and negligence. I have made myself nearly homeless, but because I have a community and dear mm-hmm. friends to rely on, I am not out on the street. <laughs> I am. Uh, I now live with Bryn and Brian forever. <laughs> I am a uh, house guest that never gets home. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we adopted a cat. Why can't we adopt a human? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, just as confusing and stupid. We adopted the cat, and the cat was fifteen, which is very old for a cat. And so, likewise, our human is old as well. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to start at the beginning. I want a human that's already housebroken. Yeah, already <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, I can't talk about parental trauma with a child I raised, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, um, on today's show, we're going to have uh, a, a guest interview, which we'll get into in a minute, with Evelyn Chow, who uh, works with Real Change and uh, does activism around homelessness and works with the, was it the Pacific Rim. Help me out, Greg. Uh, Pacific Rim Solidarity Network and... Okay. Um, China, China National District Yeah, I'm going to talk about the uh, homeless sweeps, which uh, shock of all shocks have continued. Continued uh, and almost maybe escalated. Escalated yeah. because the, well, go figure, the uh, housing crisis has continued to escalate. Um, so uh, that today, this is Thursday. So uh, yesterday and this morning, there were big sweeps in the mm-hmm. ND. And um, a lot of uh, people were out there uh, witnessing and documenting that um, this morning. Our guest was among them. Yeah, and I mean, part of the escalation, too, I think, is also that we have a police department that's extremely bored. And, uh, like, that's a big part of it as well. Now, uh, Greg, the other day, I went into QFC. All right? And... Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, this was not that kind of crisis. Uh, the last time, actually, you know what? I bought cube steak there. Like, so this was not a real crisis. Yeah, about two or three weeks ago, I bought cube steak from QFC. Not a joke. Not a joke. I, I bought cube steak. I cooked it up. You actually bought cube steak. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually... Uh, Stick fingers? No, I made chicken fried steak because a uh, friend of the show, uh, Maddie, had not ever had chicken fried steak before, which is a real crime. So, so I made her chicken fried steak. But um, the thing is, is that I got the cube steak. I came back. I let everybody know we have no shoplifters at our QFC because the cube steak was in a giant pile, almost as if nobody steak. had touched it in years. <laughs> chicken fried steak is the filet mignon of a di- of the diner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If a diner has a good chicken fried steak, um, that's a good diner because usually it's. Absolutely dog shit. Well, and the two uses of cube steak in Texas, at least, which is the only way I know what cube steak is, is chicken fried. Yeah, chicken fried steak, chicken or uh, steak fingers, which is the exact same thing as chicken fried steak. And then the other one is Salisbury steak. Oh, Salisbury that steak. That king of the cafeteria uh, lunch, uh, which I've never personally made, but I've eaten like, plenty of. Yeah, I school. only ate that because it's what they were serving at a cafeteria. Dude, I ate that growing up because uh, someone chose to buy a frozen version of it and feed it to me. Ah, yes, yes. Just yes. chose to buy the frozen Salisbury steak. And, you know, I was telling you about... <laughs> my eating habits growing up, you know, uh, I had forgotten about Salisbury steak until just now. Hadn't thought about that as a food item in 20 years. Uh, you know, I remembered the shit on a shingle and the mm-hmm. hamburger helper and the Taco Bell. Um, great. Salisbury well, steak. And Greg is going to be shocked to hear this because he's he we're face to face right now. He's looking, staring directly at we're me. Kissing. Yep, we're kissing. And what Greg's noticing as he embraces me is that I am rail thin, like a gust of wind. <laughs> could just throw just blow me right out of here just you know rail thin but i was very enthusiastic about actually most of the cafeteria food that we had in school uh, as a kid who never had his own lunch or whatever i always got from the cafeteria oh yeah I never and the funny part about salisbury steak is somebody who was enthusiastic about all the other shit they've had us salisbury steak was always like it wasn't necessarily bad but it's just one of those things like hmm Salisbury steak day. I tell you mm. what, I was also the kid, first of all. Yes, always, never, no lunch was ever packed for me, ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
I also liked all the cafeteria food. Yeah, like yeah. I, I feel like uh, it was especially not necessarily like some of it's just like whatever. It's like it's a corn dog, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But specifically the the meals that everyone else was like, oh, all yeah. the other ten kids in the class who had to buy their lunch mm-hmm. um, were like, oh, not you know, mm-hmm. uh, turkey gravy. It looks like barf, and I'm like, give me that turkey. Gravy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I I would try to think if there was any one of them that I didn't like. I think Salisbury steak was basically the only one that was like. I still, I was still fine with it, but it was just one of those things where it's like, it's not but, taco but, salad, but the, it's not fish the sandwiches. Cafeteria, cafe, like elementary mm-hmm. cafeteria, mm-hmm. Salisbury steak isn't two steak. It's just a no, beef no, 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 no. It's a hamburger. Yeah, yeah, and, and even that, it's that weird like pushed, <laughs> pushed together yeah, it's meat that's like fifty percent meat and fifty percent other products, right? Because yeah, yeah. you'd also get that hamburger, which was made out of the same shit. It was the, it, it was the same. Yeah, and it never tasted like any hamburger you ever had in your life. <laughs> Right, like it didn't taste like beef. It didn't taste like who fucking knows what was in that. But I liked it, and I actually I think as a kid I appreciate it on a level different than a regular hamburger. I just consider it a different food item. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate hamburgers, and I appreciate this thing you just handed me. But um, that wasn't the point of where I was going. <laughs> but the, so the QFC by the by by day, right here by my house, right? I was there. I'm doing my self checkout, right? And there is an altercation at one of the check stands between a guy who doesn't have shoes on because, according to him, his shoes were taken. And it escalates wherever he's thrown out. Now, this has been an es- – I, I don't know if this is just me or if this is just something I'm just noticing now. But I swear for the last month, this has been like an escalating situation at grocery stores here where I've just seen people get tossed out almost uniformly. People who seem to be at least either homeless or like – on the verge, you know, like in, in that arena at least. Um, and I don't know if we just are all psychically taking out our stress on homeless people. Have you, have you seen this? Like, I, I feel like I, like I've seen, I've seen more people banned from QFC in the last month than I have in the previous like 16 years I've lived here. Well, I, that's not surprising at all. I mean, I, yeah, we're going to take that's, uh, on every level, we are going to take this all out on the most marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And we've never had so many fucking people work in the doors at a grocery store before mm-hmm. now, right? Now there's one or two people at every door on a grocery store, plus a security guard. Yeah. Um, you know, looking for people with masks and, you know, whole, uh, managing a line in places where they're doing that. Um, yeah. So I have not personally seen that. Um but I don't know. Maybe our listeners, if you've, uh, if this has happened to you, but yeah, like our QFC also has replaced the real change vendor with now we have a giant tower with cameras in it in the parking lot and stuff. And, and I do, and I, and I, and part of it is I, I, I definitely feel for the workers at the grocery store because man, people treat them like shit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, if anybody's ever needed to just go on strike. Like, I feel like every time I go in there, I just want to lean into their ear and be like, go on strike. (laughs) Fuck us. Go on strike. But uh, I feel like, yeah, we're all in this like stressful situation and it's got to go somewhere and it's it's just being sort of directed. And it's uh, and I I worry for when, um, you know, in 25 years when the quarantine is lifted. Uh, like you know what what's gonna happen, right? Yeah. It's just gonna keep going, right? Yeah. I feel like the camera tower is not going away now, but it's there. Well, yeah. But I um, I mean, I, I know like you know, there's video and some from some states of, and some 
companies that are being really strict about the mask policy now and you're mm-hmm. crazy like boomer right-wing psychopaths mm-hmm. stirring up shit about it i would i would bet that overall um First of all, I haven't seen any stores here enforcing a mask policy yet. No, no, they Despite don't. the fact that the county now is, is saying that um, yeah. everywhere needs to do that. They put very polite notices on the door, and that's as far as it yeah. goes. Yeah. But I, wa- I want to bet that if you are, like, white and middle class looking in mm-hmm. most, I bet you can walk into a store without a mask that someone who uh, looks down on their luck or mm-hmm. is sure. not white can get stopped for and told to leave, you know? Yeah, I mean, in typical fashion, you know, any regulation, any law, whatever, no matter how well-intentioned, is always going to be, you know, enforced so unevenly, right? It's going to fall yeah. into the system of yeah. where we have, where it fits in very nicely in mm-hmm. a system where actually everything is illegal, yeah. and that is used to target yeah. the margin, the most marginalized people. And, you know, when you make a few more things illegal the system of enforcement of that is just going to is going to default to that well and i you know and i felt bad for this guy at the qfc right because like uh he's probably right so he probably did take his shoes right that's right way didn't have them at the same time like what's he supposed to do and it's it's two people like who are very uh fried at this moment who are sort of like you know both powerless in this yeah yeah like neither has the ability to actually affect anything in this situation other than to essentially attack each other but it's uh i don't know it's just this thing that I sort of notice and uh it's yeah i i i am you know <laughs> concerned <laughs> for uh, this post quarantine right i i feel like we're going to be much more policed post quarantine than we were prior um yeah yeah great well great that sounds awesome glad to hear it uh should we kick it to our very good interview with the very awesome evelyn chow yeah uh, listen to this, everybody. Okay. Hey, as promised, we're here with Evelyn Chow. They're an organizer at uh, Real Change News. Uh, also was out at uh, 12th and Weller in the ID this morning during the big sweep, uh, live streaming that as part of uh, their work with Pacific Rim Solidarity Network and Chinatown International District Coalition. Um, thank you so much for coming on with us, Evelyn. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, thank you for being out there this morning representing uh, the community. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. I just want to maybe catch people up on the basics. Um, so let's see. To start, uh, CDC has recommended halting encampment removals during this pandemic. Um, you know, obviously a, a thing we'd like to see happen generally, mm-hmm. uh, but that's from the CDC. Uh, City of Seattle um, has announced that an order, I think this is, goes back to, I believe, March 15th, um, an order uh, to halt encampment r- removals, though we've learned already before today and yesterday that um, there are apparently uh, several uh, loopholes that apply to that. Um, you know, we're probably going to be talking about, uh, the navigation team in this conversation and, uh, you know, what that has been sort of intended to mean over the last few years is a group of social workers who are supposedly intended to connect people with services like beds, such as they exist and other assistants and are uh, happen to be backed up by cops. Uh, that'll be an interesting detail to talk about, uh, today's, uh, action, Mm-hmm. Um, we also know there was another large sweep yesterday in, was it in Pioneer Square? Am I right about that? Um, no, the yesterday's one was also in the, in the ID. It was on 8th um, and King. 8th and King. Okay. Yeah, under the freeway um, of the pass. 
Got it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and this isn't the first, uh, sweep since the stop order from the city on March 15th. Um, so some things we know about today's big, uh, sweep just from, uh, watching social media from, from you and other uh, people in the community and other local journalists who were there. Sounds like there was, this is a big encampment over 50 tents and, matched by uh, something like uh, 50 cops, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe just, uh, uh, yeah, tell us what brought you there. Maybe tell us a little bit about um, Pacific Rim Solidarity Network and Chinatown International District Coalition. Totally, yeah. Uh, yeah, you set the scene really well. Um, so the city has been conducting a lot of these uh, really large sweeps recently. And today's was uh, along Weller Street from 12th to to Rainier. Um, The sweep was set to begin at 9 a.m. We've had community members show up from 7.30. And at that point, there are already cops convening uh, about the 50. And they had their briefing. And the sweep pretty much officially started around 8 o'clock. Okay. And so kind of what brought me there, I guess, you know, my work at Real Change for sure is it's always been, you know, sweeps are on my radar. But... More importantly, like with with the work that the that Parasol and the CID coalition do, uh, so the Pacific Rim Solidarity Network it's a group of radical leftist um, Chinese diaspora, like Hong Kong Taiwanese people. Um, they do a lot of different work in the community. Uh, most recently, uh, they've been a large part of coordinating the mutual aid efforts uh, in the region, uh, and then the CID coalition uh, formed out of. Uh, efforts to stand in solidarity and actively fight uh, the displacement and gentrification that's happening in the Chinatown International District. And so, you know, all of these different different areas of work uh, just kind of intersected for me today and and yesterday. And so, and I mean, we know the sweeps have been going on for for years. And so, yeah, that's what brought me there today. Yeah, thank you again for you know being there to um, you know. Uh, sh- broadcast this and show the wider community what's going on. Um, yeah, maybe tell, tell just, uh, yeah, we kind of set the scene, you know, I mentioned there was, you know, it was a big camp and you said, yeah, several blocks of, um, mm-hmm. of, uh, the street there, um, maybe 50 mm-hmm. tents or so, like, uh, what else was going on? Like what, uh, what stood out to you? And, you know, I can, I sort of got some facts I can drop here that I've learned from social media, but like what, I mean, what's the story to you this morning? Oh, the story there's, I think like the biggest thing was just like how heinous all of it was, you know, like there's so many details to, to hone in on. I think, you know, the fact that we consistently, uh, as in like all of the community members who were showing up, were trying to ask like, you know, where, what is like the exact amount of residents, you know, in this encampment area, where are they being directed to like, which shelters do you know if you have enough beds? Um, You know, there, at the same time, there are so many reasons folks don't want to, go into shelters, especially right now, knowing that there aren't um, de-intensifying measures being taken at some of them. Yeah. Um, and then also just the complete lack of, uh, I guess, awareness on the, the cops end that they were violating not only the CDC guidelines saying not to sweep unless there are individual housing units available, but at the same time, just not wearing their own masks, you know? Incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think in several of the live streams, you can see I know Nikita live streamed on her Facebook. A lot of reporting mm-hmm. happened from Christy and Day on Twitter. You can check my yeah. Instagram live stream out as well. Like 
incessantly community members were being like, we have masks, you know, we were, we were asked to bring masks and we're going to freely distribute them to, to everyone, including the cops being like, please put them on. And they just completely ignored us and walked away just hid behind their little barricade. Yeah. And I think it shows, you know, with the police or their general just disregard for yeah. human safety and things like that. I mean, there was a, one of the uh, police officers was caught in the photos on Twitter, the impossibly mm-hmm. named officer Coomer, uh, <laughs> you know, just sitting there without his goddamn mask on. Mm-hmm. But I think it also shows the sort of uh, divide as far as, you know, police and the, you know, population they, they service, right. In the sense that the police live in this sort of, uh, you know, far right, you know, mm-hmm. bubble. Right. And so, yeah, what, what a shock. They're not wearing masks. Yeah. I mean, they're like so the guys shocked. who, yeah, they're the same as the guys who are, you know, protesting at the Capitol today with I'm in. Oh it also, yeah. it's also just their, conti- again, a statement of their just general disregard for the safety well, of anybody around. Them. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly like, you know, that it is going around in sort of the right wing spheres, this sort of uh, rebellion against the mask or something. And obviously, you know, we mm-hmm. know that that is where the cops live uh, ideologically. And they also happen to be among the dumbest people alive. So <laughs> you put those two things together and um, there was I mean, I've seen the photos and the, the streams like most of them were not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Seems like the bike cops all like got together and were like, we're going to be cool and wear our masks as part of our gear. But like the rest <laughs> of them, those are the guys that kind of makes sense. Those are guys who like hit the gym, like health conscious, you know, those are the real, like, <laughs> um, you know, so they're like the, the frontline warriors, you yeah. know, but so the rest yeah. of them, just the, the hot dog necked slobs were just, <laughs> Uh, totally maskless. What well, it may be. I mean, Greg, you just remind me a, a possible other irony here is that uh, if you, you know, if you're ever at like any of the Black Lives Matter events or been at any of the Seattle May Days, mm-hmm. you know that when the police go to descend on a crowd and they want to intimidate, right, and they got the Darth Vader gear on, they all wear masks, yeah. right? Because yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. when, it's, when it's cool and you're cosplaying, you want to wear the mask. But now I guess it's, uh, you know, it's, it's too uh, soy for them or something. So they don't want to do it. Well, I mean, they live every day wanting to be in a dangerous situation that, um, that they start them. yeah yeah no exactly like yeah. they're on a hair trigger looking for a dangerous this is the cop mentality I mean we're talking this is like days after SPD mm-hmm. uh, murdered someone uh, mm-hmm. in a and I've, you know this is a whole other story we don't need to get into and uh, but it's one of these classic situations where yeah in the second the moment that the cop shot this man with a knife yeah, that cop's life was in danger because he had put himself three and a half. He was running full speed, three and a half feet behind a guy with a knife screaming at him. Mm-hmm. And so when he turns around, you know, they do this. They they live to put themselves in these dangerous situations. So I think their wires have gotten crossed on the mask thing. And like <laughs> they're like, yeah, we got to be we got to put ourselves in this dangerous situation um, because that's sort of what we live for. And it's fun. Anyway, we could psychoanalyze these uh, the pigs all day. But um there were a lot of cops. We know that. You saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about this, the number of uh, navigation team social workers you saw out there today. Oh, yeah. Um, so it took us a very, very long time to get any sort of information on whether or not there were social workers or members of the outreach or navigation team there. Uh, we ended up, I met personally one, don't remember his name, but he was an asshole. Uh, and then I know Day got a chance to talk to another person who was like the head of the the navigation team department. Um, yeah, I saw this video. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was awful. Um, 
But as for actual social workers who were uh, doing work with the folks, the residents of that encampment, we, uh, they, they didn't let anyone in. Uh, there were folks at, uh, from Reach who were initially in before they built up that whole blockade, that barricade, uh, and then they were forced out. And then we also had folks from Wellspring show up um, mm-hmm. who also you know, offered services uh, to folks like the people who are holding the line at the barricade, the cops, and they also denied entry. Uh, you know, I was there on behalf of Real Change, still no entry. So, so basically there were zero social workers on site uh, during the whole, throughout the duration of the, the sweep. So, so, but before this, the whole thing started, other, other social work organizations, aid organizations, not mm-hmm. with the city were there Mm-hmm. to provide services who were then kicked out by the cops? To my understanding, yeah. So the one person from the navigation team I did talk to, the only person who basically answered any question for me that day, today, um, you know, I was like, have these folks been offered shelter? Um, if so, like where? Um, and he said, yeah, we've been offering them every day. And I was like, okay, well, why haven't they taken it? Again, there are so many reasons people won't take shelter right now. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Then when I asked for specific numbers, like how many shelter beds are available today, there were no answers given and then they walked away. So, yeah. And that, so Day and Chrissy from, um, mm-hmm. activist class, you know, mm-hmm. threw up a video of talking to this guy from the health department or whatever, yeah. the services department, mm-hmm. um, asking about 75 times, like, so how many beds are available right now? Like mm-hmm. a kind of a basic mm-hmm. thing you might know if this was any kind of organized like yeah. effort to if, help anyone if you intended yeah if you intended to put these people in shelter you right know you might yeah. have some vague idea you might have some preparation on this to know that that is not even like but and you just refused constantly refused to answer directing them to the blog which is hilarious <laughs> yeah. um totally deflecting also not also not letting them in as journalists um mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. which that's a whole nother piece of this you know they're letting in like the corporate media but yeah, not Times, local journalists Fox, yeah not international yeah. examiner not them it's just yeah, yeah. and um and th- but you know this is there's it's so hard to even you know the the like you were saying there's so many reasons why someone wouldn't even take a bed if it was and this what makes this uh there's so many layers of bullshit to the way the city, I mean, you know, it's broader than the city, but the city uh, pretends to deal with this problem because once you, when you start, even when, even in the act of confronting the city or a representative of the city on the issue of the number of beds available, like that is a, it's a key thing. And it's like really like telling that it, that couldn't be answered and they didn't seem to know or care, but mm-hmm. the number of beds available is kind of a meaning, ultimately a meaningless thing really, because you're talking about emergency shelter beds, which mm-hmm. are places that, I mean, well, you know, you've, you've, you're in this, you know, you're involved in reaching out to these communities. I mean, tell us about all the reasons you might not, that a supposed emergency shelter bed might not be the right answer for you out even before this pandemic. And then certainly now. Yeah, I mean, where do I begin, you know? Um, so, I mean, even before uh, this global ban- pandemic was happening, we already know that uh, hygiene conditions in a lot of basic shelters just, you know, aren't being met. Um, and not to any fault of the people who work there, obviously. It's just that people, social services are extremely under-resourced. Um, and so, you know, we have reports of our vendors at Real Change 
you know, getting bed bugs, other sorts of like diseases, cold spreading really quickly in these very packed areas. Um, and a lot of the, the other reasons too, is just like, you know, a lot of barriers, uh, a lot of uh, shelters claim to be, you know, low barrier, but then still require things like, for example, sobriety, <clears throat> like tests daily, yeah. which is really ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, it's even just, just like things demeaning. like, very, yeah. And then even things just like requiring ID, like, you know, we have the footage, people know, like, when you're in like transient housing situations, like it's not that simple to just hold on to your identification all the time. And it's even more people are throwing away your fucking belongings all the time. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's, it's, it's exacerbated right now, you know, like government offices aren't even open for folks to be getting new IDs in the first place. Um, not to mention just how expensive it is every single time you have to do it. And so, you know, there's just yeah. so many reasons. And ultimately, mo- a lot, I mean, there's a lot of different types of shelters, but a lot of them is basically more or less like if it was, if they existed in some kind of situation that was intended to actually help people or solve a problem, it would, these shel- the types of shelters we have would be like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I just lost my housing to this mm-hmm. afternoon. I just need a place to be tonight. And that's the most important yeah. problem in my life because all they're really offering is a cot in a Mm -hmm. large room full of cots where Mm -hmm. you have this giant list of things you can't do or be and like you can't bring all your belongings with you you Mm -hmm. can bring you know a a backpack maybe you know and that's and the clothes on your body no family members yeah no pets no children again like maybe something like that could be useful to someone to certain numbers of people in like a as part of a larger system uh, of a safety net but it's as it exists now, it seems like it's basically just a, a PR screen, like something you can say that is happening that even that is not even happening. Because as we saw, like they're not even necessarily conscious of how many beds are available. And we know that there are never there have never at no time have there ever been enough beds to house the people mm-hmm. on the street, much less or even the people they're they're clearing out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another feature of the. Uh, the sort of navigation team saga has been um, even, you, you know, even when it is the, when the social workers are there supposedly connecting people with services, mm-hmm. um, one of the sort of most bizarre and cruel things, right, is the uh, tendency for people to lose all the belongings they have in the world um, mm-hmm. uh, because they get thrown away. Sometimes we know in the past they have been, uh, boxed up in a truck, taken to some kind of storage facility, which is the beginning of what I can only imagine is the most insane Mm Kafka-esque, like, bizarre, like, like, trip to go on to get, like, your personal belongings that Mm -hmm. you were standing next to when they were put in a truck for some reason Mm -hmm. that had to go away, and now you Mm -hmm. have to, like, get paperwork. That already, again, it's like every layer of this, already an absolutely insane and cruel thing. Tell us about what was happening today. Yeah, so today, um, you know, we, we know that the navigation team loves to tout how, how they have, like, their whole storage system. We just know from experience that that is literally not the case most of the time, that they actually have those available. Uh, so today we waited. We waited for the whole, for myself at least, like, two and a half hours uh, as they were saying that there would be some sort of uh, storage truck, and there was not. Uh, instead, there was just a standard uh, garbage truck that arrived, and you know, they did a, a round up the, the the east half of Weller Street and then the west, and then they just threw all of the tents into into 
into the garbage truck with the mattresses, with everyone's belongings in it. Um, yeah, that was that was the visual there. And so when you're in a situation where you're homeless and, you know, an armed agent of the state shows up, takes all your possessions in the world and throws them into a dumpster and then tells you you have to go away or else we're going to put you in a steel cage or murder you, uh, that improves your life, right? Yeah, no, I, I love being, yeah, I think they love being terrorized. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's an astonishing thing. And I mean, uh they you, to take everything that somebody has and throw it away essentially. Right. And mm-hmm. then when they go to the shelter, then to complain, well, why don't you have an ID? Why don't mm-hmm. you have it? It is. I mean, Kafka ask is the right term, right. For this whole system that we put these people through. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, has, does, has, does anyone know? I mean, I'm just putting this out to the anyone has, does anyone, has anyone talked to any local journalists, any activists talk to a human being who had their stuff before their eyes put in storage and managed <laughs> to get it back? I mean, I know that wasn't even happening today. Today was just a a garbage truck. But, like, I know at least a couple times they have had a truck that they've loaded shit into theoretically to go into storage. Like, but is it actually any different? Has anyone managed to get their shit back? And why would that even happen? Like, it doesn't even make sense. It's just to, you know, I don't know. It's the controlling aspect of the state. And I will say in my almost six months at Real Change that I've never heard of that case. (laughs) So Okay. uh, I am not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it just if you break this all down, like what is happening here? Like it seems pretty clear. The intention is just to scatter people to the winds, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, if we just disappear all of them, then, then we don't have to think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you were to, uh, I guess, uh, psychologize or speculate, I mean, what's, What's the goal? I mean, we know that it's, they're not going to not be homeless after you throw all their shit away, right? Um, on some level, they have to know that even when you scatter home, you know, if you scatter them, they're just going to be homeless somewhere else, right? But probably still in the city. Like, what what is even the goal? You know, I I grapple with this question all the time, um, and I still I don't think I I don't even think I have an answer. I think it really just boils down to the fact that you know it's all power play. Um, the police, the state, they love having this, this control, this ability to terrorize, to, to inflict violence upon these compu- these communities that they've made vulnerable already, susceptible to their violence. Um, I think that when you put these people in powers of position, positions of power, that they're obviously going to abuse them. And so I can't think of anything more, you know, just every single time I'm interacting with officers at either rallies, actions, or, you know, sweeps like these, you know, I always question, like, what what is it? What would it take to just get you out of that uniform? You know, like, why? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Um, and I think that's what I come back to is just it's the power. Well, I think, you know, that's sort of an interesting point, too. I mean, one. Yeah. And I mean, I think for police in particular, it's cruelty for cruelty's sake for them. But I mean, one of the interesting things is, you know, very, very soon. And we've already seen all the editorials calling for it. Uh, the city and the state and the county budgets are all going to be cut to the bone, right? And we're going to cut all the services. Mm-hmm. Cut, you know, any what mm-hmm. little services we're going to homeless people are going to be cut. Brian, the, are they going to cut the cops' budget? You know, the police budget is almost certainly going to go up, right? <laughs> and it is this interesting thing of, you know, is there just any situation where uh, we could live in a world where we could just say, hey, maybe having 
you know, 50 cops uh, just to harass, a 50 person patrol of cops just to harass homeless people every morning is a waste of money. Like, you know, when, when does that time come? We say, maybe we have too many fucking cops. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, I hope that time fucking comes soon, but it doesn't, you know, in this city, it doesn't seem like it's going to come anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, in this city or anywhere, I mean, yeah, I think, you definitely. know, what you nailed is the, that this is all part of a, you know, larger structures of, control and state violence for, for the purpose of oppressing people. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and that, that is, these are the systems that allow, you know, the cops to exist and be funded the way they are for mm-hmm. the media to, you know, to, for the local media to talk about it the way they do. But yeah. there's almost something, you know, more, or there's a whole, there's a specific element when you look at like this city's governance by your technocratic, like liberal <laughs> shithead class. Um, that is, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we can talk about it, the cops all we want, but ultimately this is this is coming from City Hall mm-hmm. and these are demo, you know, Democrats we're talking about. <laughs> um and you know, in the in progressive Seattle, um and I think what boy at the end of the day for them, this is basically like a PR win of a kind because all they're seeing I, to me, if I'm going to mm-hmm. to get in their heads is like um when these encampments grow to a concentration where they're an eyesore enough, because it's about aesthetics for mm-hmm. your your uh, cosmopolitan liberal, mm-hmm. then they just have to scatter it. The fact that they're all going to still be in the city, that the problem mm-hmm. certainly hasn't been solved, that people are harassed, that they're just going to go other places, these houseless people, mm-hmm. uh, it's fine. They've they're, The concentration has been diminished for some period of time, so that it, and they've shown to the sort of like the small business class mm-hmm. look yep. we're using the the yeah. agents of the state to affect this change we're being mm-hmm. rough on these people because i think to to your like right-wing small business asshole mm-hmm. like seeing yeah. that they're being terrorized to them they think that if you're a right-winger you think that's a solution right if you you think because of the mm-hmm. way you think about humanity as needing like discipline you think if we are terrorizing these people they will go away somewhere else or they'll get their shit together and stop being homeless or something or it's the Mm -hmm. fact that we're if we weren't terrorizing people more people would be homeless and addicted or whatever um and so to the democrats in office here it's like you have to appease that Mm -hmm. mentality and show look look we're kicking ass we're we're busting heads you know oh yeah totally no you you definitely hit it on the nail with the with the optics and the pr i mean you know, I, and this is something that I've been really upset about too, just like seeing the ways that a lot of the uh, Asian businesses in the CID have, have advocated for these sweeps to be happening, you know? And so just like grappling that tension of like, how are we, you know, trying to support local businesses, like the ones that have been really impacted by racism at this time while they're actively and gentrification while like, you know, a lot of these small business owners are at the same time perpetuating the anti-blackness and the racism you know, like criminalizing poverty, just like in their, their, in their own neighborhoods, in our neighborhoods. And so, you know, it's definitely just, yeah, an uphill battle. And, you know, just the whole idea of sweeping encampments and then taking these nice, like pretty pictures of the streets or whatever that they do for their blogs or their Twitter accounts Mm -hmm. after. Yeah. And I mean, I think that sort of the, the class aspect of it is interesting in the way it's sort of interacting with this uh, pandemic I mean, I think I think Greg has been the big proponent on the show of the theory that the pandemic is basically just going to be used to wipe out all the poor people in America. But it, it is like I mean, it's already started. Yeah, like, 
that seems to be the official policy. I mean, they tell everyone with a professional class job is making a hundred grand or more. Please mm-hmm. stay at home. Please wear masks. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, fend for yourself, motherfuckers. Yeah. Right. And, you yep. know. My, the trademark phrase is a genocide of the poor and marginalized. That's <laughs> yeah. what we're. That's what we're about to live through. I mean, so, America's all about genocide. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're gonna find. This, yeah, every system in this country is primed for a situation like this to just be taken out and acted on whoever, whatever groups of people, whatever communities are the least powerful. And so that means the the least wealthy and least white and whatever other communities in this country are the most marginalized are just going to be ground into fucking dust. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to sort of, uh, uh, you know, maybe bring that to the to the street level a little bit too. I mean, I think you know you can you can sort of s- speak to this a little bit. You know, if you have again the sort of armed agents of the state just chasing around, you know, homeless people, and we know that in these encampment sweeps too. I mean, there's they fucking killed people in the mm-hmm. encampment sweeps too. Um, when they're doing this, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. You you know scatter uh, these people away. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know, if you are homeless and this is happening to you, and this is a constant state of affairs for you, I mean, there has to be like a bit of an intimidation factor if you do get sick about going to a hospital or something like that. You know, going to one of these places, right, where you know uh, you could be essentially swept again, right? I mean, you have mm-hmm. to have a certain, um, you know, like I guess fear of interacting <laughs> with, with the potential, you know, agents of the state, which mm-hmm. I mean, could only exacerbate, you know, any you know uh, uh, amount of like COVID in the homeless community. I mean. Yeah. Your sort of thoughts on that, I guess. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I think to, to put like a tangible example to that, the first thing that came to mind was how, you know, at Real Change pre-COVID, we would have medical vans, um, like community medics folks come in and do like free examinations, free shots, uh, free, what's it called, vaccinations for folks who are our vendors. And oftentimes, you know, regardless of the fact that it's free, required no documentation at all, you know, people would be extremely scared and like a lot of them would refuse to have these services, even though just like objectively speaking, we know that it would be and could be beneficial. And so, you know, just the, the, the trauma and the impact of, of living outside every single day, not knowing where you're going to get your next meal, you know, it really takes a a huge mental toll. And I I think that that's something that, I mean, it's certainly in, in discourse a lot more now, but just in general, the, the, the impact and the trauma that, that that transience has on someone's ability to maintain relationships and this goes for just like you know not even just person to person but with with social workers with uh, caseworkers it's just it makes it that much more difficult you know mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know when you get these sort of particular like suburban you know conservatives or whatever and they're like you know, uh, Seattle offers all these services and the homeless don't take it or whatever. This is the part that's yeah. never communicated, uh-huh. right? But mm-hmm. even if we assume the services being offered were good, even if we assume that there was enough, right? All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You've built in a suspicion and reluctance to accept those because every interaction that, you know, 99% of the interactions mm-hmm. that are having with the state involve a guy with a gun threatening mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Oh. 
it, these services that are offered are basically that exactly for that purpose. It's a poison pill, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's like when you do the dishes really poorly, so you're never asked to do it again. You know, <laughs> this Greg is definitely not speaking from his uh, <laughs> own experience. I actually like doing housework. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I keep a clean galley, um, but uh, you know, I mean, that's it's that the time the little bit of services that we do provide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, at least some portion of it, yeah, serves this political PR purpose of of being able to, on the one hand, say, "Look, we're doing something." On the other hand, say, "Look, these people aren't accepting this uh, help we're giving them." And you know, it's like if the help sucks, then yeah, people aren't going to take it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got yeah, you've got a, like a family or a dog or just mm-hmm. possessions, uh, you can't go to a shelter. Like, I mean, that's just where it starts. And yeah, like. Uh, I'd be I'd be terrified of getting COVID nineteen in a shelter at, mm-hmm. at, during this time. I mean, it's very obvious to anyone like that you're safer like on the street from mm-hmm. that. These you know if you're again like we know what, whatever shortage of medical care there is at any time during this pandemic that it's not you know it's not fucking rich people who are going to feel that you know it's mm-hmm. these Never people is. you gotta yep. you know that you know that you know you don't live in a society where if you're living on the street in america you know you're not thinking to yourself well at least if i come down like you know with uh this pandemic disease i'll be i'll be have just as much chance as anyone else to survive it mm-hmm. you're not thinking that no i mean you're gonna be somehow you're going to uh get the worst end of this so evelyn um were you able to talk to any of the residents there as they were uh, either before it was blocked off or as they were um, being rustled out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like just before there was there was an opportunity for me and it was, you know, they were just very passing um, interactions just because, you know, people were rushing to try and get their stuff out before they didn't even let them back in after through the barricades. But um, we did hear from one person who was offered um a voucher to First Pres, um, First Pres- Presbyterian, which is one of the uh, the shelters um, mm-hmm. that they were trying to direct folks to. Again, uh, just on my end, I don't know if it has been de-intensified yet. Um, and so there was just, you know, there was no, no, I guess, mm-hmm. optimism there. Tell us about the de-intensification. Like, what does that entail at one of these shelters? Basically, it just means like implementing the CDC guidelines um, for safety. So, you know, just having the mats or the cots spread six feet apart. Um, you just just being in compliance with CDC guidelines. Um, Does yeah, that mean it, diminished capacity? You know, um, yeah, <laughs> it does uh, to, to my understanding. And at the same time, it's like there there's so many moving pieces. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this issue came up. I know that uh, Erica Barnett had written about it on her thing. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, they reduced capacity in the shelters and they took beds that were in, you know, one shelter and would move them over to another building, right? So maybe you have a 100 beds in one shelter, you take 50 out, put it in another building. Mm-hmm. And then what the mayor apparently did was just counted the beds in the new building as yep. new beds, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, to the point that the mayor, like, literally just threw, you know, counting wrong, like, tripled the amount of uh, shelter beds in the city. Those are new yeah. beds. Yeah. Putting which, out I mean, really I, false numbers, yeah. Yeah, which I think says one of two things, which is either, you know, either the 
the mayor is purposefully lying to be deceiving, or I think actually more likely cares so fucking little about fucking homeless people, just doesn't give a shit. Just, you know, like, you know, as she was like taking a shit and drinking coffee, like looked at the numbers, like, oh, triple, you know, as she's tweeting, you know. There we go. The only filter when the only filter is PR, yeah, then that's an obvious move. You know? I mean, yeah. yeah, we see the same thing happening right before they do the one night count every single year. You know, they'll just do mm-hmm. huge sweeps of every single area. They know there's a major encampment and then be like, oh, look, our numbers are down. We're doing great. You know, like yeah. no, you actually just pushed everyone out of the fucking city. Yeah, yeah. Or, or scattered them so they can't be found. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Or do the one night count, you know, in the middle of winter. Right. <laughs> so, the, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's all these sort of little tricks and I mean, it's it's sort of astounding to live in a society where apparently all our web browsers are being watched at all times. And, you know, there's so much data, but apparently, you know, uh, how many homeless people, one of the richest cities on the planet has in it is an unknowable number. Like you just can't, you know, it's it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, You know, any other stories you want to relay about this morning to us today? I know you just uh, cited Erica C. Barnett earlier. I think, you know, she was doing really good reporting earlier about how, these cops are getting paid overtime uh, to be at these to be at these sweeps again. There oh, were sweet, 50 cops. yeah, like tens of thousands of dollars. I think was was the numbers from her reporting. And as as we've seen from and just know from experience, like they literally are told not to engage with the public, and so they form this huge barricade, this barrier with the metal bars, and then their bikes, and then they stand behind them. Sometimes they're just like not even facing us, but if they are, and we try to engage, they're just told like we're not going to answer that. We can't answer that, and so. Just the lack of transparency. Again, we know, knew this was always a problem with the Seattle Police Department and every police department ever. But yeah, that was just extremely, extremely upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the sort of standard issue thing with the police, right? Uh, this idea of just an open hostility towards a significant portion of the city's population and uh yeah it's fucking disgusting i mean but this is uh, what are the police doing right now this is what they're doing I mean, know. yeah right now they're getting paid 70k just yeah. sitting around having fun and signing up for to volunteering for overtime to yeah. harass homeless people to be fair they used to uh when they would do i know when they do the mayday stuff and when they used to do the like blm things they also would all pull from the overtime pool and I remember you'd always get uh, one or two cops that would uh, derisively thank people for, you know, buying them a new car and things like that. <laughs> I mean, and it's astonishing. I mean, like yeah. for being a profession that requires uh, like no fucking intelligence and just basically to be breathing. Uh, we brought this <laughs> up before. Like it's an extremely high paying job, like starting in Seattle. Uh, I believe the last time I checked, they were making about 110 a year starting. I mean, so. Well, an absolute parasite on the fucking you know, According city. to the city, we're also in like a cop shortage, right? Um, according to SPD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we only have 10,000 of right. them in the so, city. So. If you think about it, like they need to call in overtime for this because they, cause that's a, you know, that's a manpower problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like to do this, they need to bring in overtime cops. What that, what that means is, I mean, they've, it's because they have so many fucking cops on regular hours, just on the beach, just swarming the fucking city, just like on every fucking block, eight mm-hmm. cruisers responding to any incident, you know, that, so it's not just that these guys are making money. It's that 
we're so saturated by mm. police presidents. Um, obviously, some neighborhoods more than others. Mm. Oh God. Um, so, uh, do you have a sense, Evelyn, about like how many people from the community, um, you know, I get, you know, whatever, just people locally or activists, journalists, whatever, like showed up to be there this morning? Yeah, I think at one point we counted about two dozen. Uh, okay. yeah, we had like quite a quite a good amount of folks show up to today's. I know that yesterday's at Ethan King was a little less attended, uh, but there was also shorter notice about that. So, yeah, I think it was really cool to see um, as many people who were able to come out today come out. Um, yes, and then absolutely. just like the coordination amongst all the different media, uh, community media that we were trying to do um, to bring awareness. I mean, again, people have been aware. We've been aware, but you know, just especially now during a global fucking pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Solidarity with everybody who came out there. Thank you for, you know, for being there, everyone. Um, it's important. I mean, if, even if it's, uh, even if, you know, even if to bear witness, uh, at least, uh, it's, a, it's something. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the most engagement that I've seen in, in recent times, at least on just footage and, um, uh, content about the sweeps happening because we had so many like yeah like larger influencers there who were able to to like document be questioning like on live so yeah, yeah. I'm really thankful for that well it's tough because i think like you said earlier um you know all the usual suspects have been allowed to tell the story right so the seattle times gets to get in there we know what their mm-hmm. opinion is right i'm sure mm-hmm. You know, the local news networks, Como and whatever, got to get in there. We know their opinion on it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and so it's actually important that, you know, people like yourself, people like Day or whatever actually go. And even though the police are going to actively try and prevent you from talking to people and stuff to actually mm-hmm. show what's happening. Because, I mean, this is the this is the balance of forces right now. We have, you know, a major TV network that reaches, you know, however many thousands of houses that literally runs documentaries that their whole thing is like, Hey, what about concentration camps? Right? Like that's their solution. And uh, on the other side of it is people who are willing to get up and go out in the rain and I guess just be on Twitter, you know, like that's, yeah. that, that, that seems to be the balance right now. Yeah, unpaid too, like that. Yeah, unpaid. Yeah, yeah, not enjoying very cushy. uh, Again, only job easier than being a cop is being on you know TV news. So you know, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I mean, just really unbelievable. So yeah, Uh, so thank you, uh, solidarity to all those people and all the uh, residents who were rustled mm -hmm. out of their only homes this morning. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, Evelyn, is there anything you want to talk about as terms of like what? Um, how people can, uh, first of all, maybe be aware, um, tune into, uh, sweeps like this in the future to show up or other ways they can get involved in, um, advocacy like this or just solidarity with, um, our houseless, uh, neighbors. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how to find out when these things are happening. So it's, yeah. uh, um, yeah, I would say, you know, just follow, follow um, all these community media accounts, uh, people who have been doing the work on the ground, you know, obviously Erica C. Barnett, Day, Nikita, Oliver, um, all the folks from activist class really. Um, yeah, just, you know, keep following. And then at the same time, you know, there is, there is legislation that's attempting to be put through from the city council. Thank you to council member Morales, uh, and Sawant's ordinance. Um, and you know, there's, if there's something that has actually given me hope 
uh, during this time in COVID. It's just seeing the amount of people, community members who have come through to support our real change vendors. Um, you know, it's just been really like one of the few heartwarming pieces, things that can bring me joy throughout my days when I when we go into the office is just seeing how much money and resources folks are directing to to our organization and I'm hoping others as well. You know, whether it's, you know, we've gotten like thousands of mask donations, lots of food, we're doing grocery distributions right now um, for folks living both inside and outside uh, and just separating those depending on what people have access to, like a stove with, you know, hot water or can openers, wow. things like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just like really trying to, uh, support your local organizations and people you know are doing the work right now. Um, yeah, you know, Parasol with with the COVID nineteen mutual aid networks, like that's that's wild. They have like thousands of volunteers, you know. And so, yeah, that's that's something that I would, you know, if we're going to end yeah. on like a positive note, which I always like to do, then, then that's something I'd like to shout out for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we'll we'll link to all that because um, in. Real change. So real change, like actual on street vending is pretty much still is shut down, right? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Um, so we will, but we will link to real change and we'll link to, um, where you can donate for that, um, to, uh, help out that community of vendors and that, um, publication. Um, yeah, no, that'd be yeah. great. Um, there's like mm-hmm. a, we have a tiny URL. So it's just tinyurlcom slash Venmo vendor. A lot of um, our vendors, you know, they have spots that they sell in specifically, and we list those spots on that site there. Um, and oh, so they're regular. So get connect yeah. up with your your um, mm-hmm. your paper your vendor. vendor. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it, it is an interesting thing. I mean, like the QFC by my house has a real change vendor that's been there for, I don't know, years at this point. And, uh, you know, you do like create like a, a, a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this person you see all the time. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully people can reach out. And, uh, and the thing is like, particularly if you want to read your news on, you know, printed on paper, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, real changes like that actually even covers like homeless issues at all, which is, uh, a real crime and just another statement of how shitty the Seattle times is, <laughs> but you know, uh, pretty, you know, pretty fucking ridiculous, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, to bring it back to that positive note, there are lots of things <laughs> that you can do, um, you know, getting involved with these organizations, um, donating to real change. Um, and hey, you know what? Showing up and just being there in solidarity with your community and especially your houseless neighbors, if mm-hmm. uh, the next inevitable time soon when the city, um, you know, pulls this shit again. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Evelyn, this has been really uh, depressing but enlightening. And, um, you know, thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah, of course, and thank you all for for again giving me this platform and having me on the show here. Uh, yeah, Seattle sucks, but we love it, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it's day to day, but yeah. thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you sure. so much. Thanks, Greg. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again. Um, to Evelyn, thanks for listening, everybody. You know, check out the links to those orgs uh, in the description. It's, I don't know, it's, what can we do but but talk about this shit and get it out there? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's important that, it, you know, <laughs> I guess at least that people are aware that it's happening and all these sort of things. So, uh, yeah, uh, obviously another just wonderful downer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as is now just the custom uh, on the show. 
uh, I guess we could have a it's co- getting harder and harder to laugh about how shitty yeah because that was our our mm-hmm. stick for a long time nothing funny about this shit yeah um it's just this is just like a a slow rolling holocaust like yeah the moral of the story is never know about anything yeah but to quote uh our fallen leader colin who is still in the quarantine of the mind that is fatherhood um Wow, that he sucks. He doesn't know what day it is, what it is. He doesn't know if the sun is up or down right now. Uh, yeah. All right. That sucked. You think your vision is fogged from wearing a mask under your glasses? Like, he, he can't see straight, period. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back uh, soon. I don't know. How long does it take a child to reach maturity? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right, all right, all right, goodbye, everybody. Bye.